0: Hi, my name is Dan Ariely and welcome to Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast about science. Every week I will talk to one researcher about one project who will have a chat about what they found and what it means for our lives.
1: Just as we cheat to further our own ends, we also deceive ourselves about our dishonesty. Dan talks with Zoe Chance of the Yale School of Management about their research on the psychological harm of self-deception and the means by which we can decrease our self-deception in the future. The idea of self-deception is that there are things that we know, but we don't let ourselves know about ourselves. So it's lying to someone else but we're lying to ourselves and the challenging the most challenging thing about self-deception is that by definition we really can't know when it's happening so we can observe it in other people as you and i do in some of our experiments but in fact we really can't observe it in ourselves
0: so so it's something that we're cheating but the moment we finish cheating we don't know that we've been cheating
1: we set it up so that people may be cheating. They may feel like they're cheating or they may not feel like they're cheating.
0: Give me an example from real life of when you think self-deception could work.
1: So I was actually thinking about this because you and I have another project on dating. And I was thinking how our two projects relate a little bit based on um, my personal experience going to college at Haverford College, which is a co-ed school, and right next to Bryn Mawr College, which is a women's college. And these are small schools and they're very interconnected. And the result is that there are three times as many women as men in this dating pool. And what happens is that the guys who show up there, they have their pick of these amazing, beautiful, talented, brilliant women while they're in
0: college. Well, is the self-deception here part of your description of the women, or is it something that can happen <laughs> later?
1: <laughs> Probably both. <laughs> I'm thinking of like two guys in particular, but there were many of them, but two in particular that I knew that... Many of us found them not just unattractive, but they're actually physically and socially repulsive, and yet they dated this series of really hot women while they're in college. And I ran into each of them a couple of years after school, and it turned out that they hadn't had a girlfriend since they graduated. And these guys had deluded themselves into believing that they were getting these beautiful women because they were just so great, right? And they were refusing to adjust their standards when they got some legitimate feedback from the real world where the gender ratio is more 50-50. The effect was that they were taking credit for this miraculous circumstance which they didn't deserve any credit for at all.
0: The deception element here is that we don't take into account the environmental influence on our choices and our ability. We think it's all attributed to us.
1: We take credit for all of our positive outcomes regardless of where they came from.
0: And, and we probably don't do the same thing for negative. So it's, there's something biased, biased about it.
1: Right. And what happens is that this becomes costly in the future.
0: Okay. So once, once you uh, refuse to adjust and understand what your real contribution is, you might uh, not be willing to settle. You keep on changing, hoping for the world to reveal itself in a way it's supposed to do and so on.
1: One of the ingredients that we need is some ambiguity in the situation which can allow us to take credit for something that we may not be sure whether we deserve credit for it or not.
0: Okay. But so when, there's,
1: when it's gray,
0: this is when self-deception comes in. So how did the experiments look like? How did you test this?
1: We had everyone take a series of tests. There are two tests. And we had one finding which is surprising, and one is rather unsurprising. So what happens is on the first test, we give half of the people access to an answer key. Maybe it's at the bottom of the page, maybe it's on the next page, and they're taking this test that's like an IQ test, and they might be using the answers or they might not, and then we, after everyone gets the scores on the first test, then we ask everybody to predict their scores for the second test. The unsurprising finding, as you would probably expect, many of us would, that people who have access to the answer key do better because they're cheating on the first test. But what's more interesting is that after cheating on the first test, we find that these people persist in predicting to do equally well on the next test, even though they understand that there's no answer key for the next test. Everyone's in the same situation for the second test, and yet those who had an advantage and those who used that to their advantage on the first test are deluded in believing that the world will continue to conspire in their favor and give them superior performance
0: on the second Okay, so basically, uh, they are basically two people. One has an answer key, one doesn't. The person who has an answer key performs better. Maybe they even make more money because of that. And now we say to them, hey, how well do you think you'll do on the next task? And we pay people by their ability to predict correctly how well they will do. And the question is, is the person who got extra performance boost from looking at the answer key, do they realize that? Do they say, oh yes, I really got only seven questions correctly and I cheated on five. Uh, In the next task, when there's no answer key, I'll probably solve seven again. Or do they take credit for this extra uh, question and say, oh, I solved 12 before, I'll probably keep on solving the same number because while I did look at the answer, probably it was my actual skill as well.
1: We don't know if they even have access to the knowledge that they're cheating at the moment in which they're cheating. So we observe them cheating because we see the scores they get. But these mechanisms are so strong, it may even be that they see an answer, they glance down at an answer, and, you know, maybe a hindsight bias kicks in. They feel like they knew the answer all along, or they feel as though they should have known it or they should have gotten credit
0: for it. So it could could happen that it's so quick, that this justification process, that people don't even go through a, I cheated, let me rationalize it process, that it's just a... even quicker than that.
1: This has been Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast with economist and New York Times bestselling author Dan Ariely of Duke University. Dan's latest book is The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. You can subscribe to the Arming the Donkeys podcast and learn more about dishonesty, irrationality, and other human quirks at danariely.com.